welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. To open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, we are uh, beginning a, a season of what we call Advent, which is leading up to the coming of Christ. And just like I shared in our Advent uh, candles right here, that's illustrated, it's a time that we reflect and a time that we look at getting ready for Christmas. And the passage we're going to be looking at today is the Old Testament passage that really is the primary one that points everybody from the Old Testament time that there is a Messiah, there is a ruler, there is someone coming who is sent from the Lord who's going to restore the sight to the blind, who's going to bring goodness back to the people. And I think we have to understand our situation of what we have going on. In Isaiah chapter 9, Israel, much of the book of Isaiah, is about just rebellion and disobedience to God. And then there would be judgment that would come upon them. And we live in a time of darkness, just like during the time of Isaiah. He lived during the same time. Rumor has about how did Isaiah die. He, was, he spoke very boldly about the prophecy and pointing people to the Lord. And because of that, uh, history has, it's not recorded in the Bible, but it's believed that Isaiah was actually put in a log and sawed in two because folks just did not like him. They didn't want to hear his message. And that's very similar for us to today. You go out with a gospel message, a message of hope, a message of repentance, a message of one asking people to turn away from their wickedness and turn to the Lord, well, you get, you'll get pushback. You will get folks who just do not agree with you. And that's what we're going to see here, that there's a picture that's going to be told of there is a coming Messiah who's going to be uh, on the scene very soon who will restore goodness. And it's going to be an eternal kingdom, not one that is like, to, 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 like today. So the word Advent means waiting. It's a picture of a church. Remember a church from last Sunday, what we learned, a church is a body of believers, a church in waiting. What are we waiting for? We're waiting. We live in this dark time. And the little prayer guide there, I referenced earlier for our Lottie Moon, a week of prayer for uh, international missions, over 4 billion people do not know about Jesus on earth. It might even be more than that. Ultimately, only the Lord knows who's saved, but there's billions of people on earth who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that tells us that they live in darkness, not just darkness here on earth, but even eternal darkness. When folks pass away who do not know Jesus, they are not saved, they are spiritually lost. They don't go to heaven. The Bible says they go, actually go to hell without knowing the Lord Jesus. And our responsibility this Christmas season is to make sure that we take that light of Jesus and we shine it, we give them that hope and say, here is the Messiah, here is what you have been waiting for. So I want to illustrate this about uh, what it's like living in darkness today. I moved here from Georgia, and when I lived there in Georgia, we had a lady in our church, her name was Carolyn, and she uh, would give me permission to share this story because she, she told it publicly. But she dealt with great tragedy in her life. 
She moved to where our community was from a little area near Barnesville, Georgia, which is kind of a rural area, kind of in the middle of nowhere in central Georgia. And her and her husband owned a convenience store. It was a very profitable, good business. Only problem owning a convenience store is you work all the time and you have to deal with the general public. So he was closing one day, and they were probably in their upper 50s when this event occurred. It was just a regular, I think it was a Tuesday night actually, just a regular night of the week, closing up, and their little store closed about 9 o'clock. And he was uh, going to head home, and I guess they would eat a late dinner. She's up waiting for him, just, uh, you know, standard day. Well, that day when he was closing... Carolyn and her husband, she's at home waiting. He's locking up the store, or he's, it's about to lock up. Um, a young man, a 13-year-old, walks in, and he had just joined a gang. And apparently, when you join a gang, you have to do something illegal and dangerous. And these gang members had given this 13-year-old boy. Now, 13, if you're 13, that means you're in middle school. That's seventh grade, a seventh grader. Uh, at the local middle school, southern middle school. Just pick a middle school, and that's where this child would be at during the week. Well, he had joined a gang, and they had given him a gun. And they said, in order for your initiation, you have to go rob a convenience store and go steal some stuff. Well, um, the gentleman who owned the store, you know, if you own a retail store, you're used to theft. You know how to confront people, and you know what to look for for people who are going to I guess, steal stuff from you. Um, so the guy's there, and this young man comes in and notices that he's stealing stuff, and he speaks up and says, hey, you can't steal. You don't come in the store and steal stuff. Thou shalt not steal. You'll put it back on the shelf. you know, you got to pay for that, just this typical stuff. You might say if children are stealing candy at your convenience store. This 13-year-old pulls out a gun and shoots the man right then and kills him. Just like that, one bullet. Shot him in the chest. Doesn't even, doesn't even have a fire gun. I mean, just uh, total lawlessness. And Carolyn gets a call. She, I, she actually told me this story in her living room after she came to visit our church a few times. I went and met with her, and she was, even this had happened years earlier, she had never and probably will never recover from what happened. She said, Daniel, I'm sitting at home waiting for my husband to return home from work. We had even talked about soon selling the store and retiring because it had been just such a good business. And got a phone call from the police department, sheriff's department, come down the shop. There had been a tragedy, an accident, something had happened. She goes down there, realizes her husband had been killed. He was pronounced dead on scene, but they still have to take you to the hospital. She then goes to the local hospital, the coroner there, pronounced him dead. She is at the hospital, obviously crying, sheets over her husband. This happened like that. He's pronounced dead, and next thing you know, she's then planning a funeral service. She said she left her house about 9 o'clock, just shortly after 9. They caught the boy within minutes. They know who it was. There are cameras everywhere. Uh, he's a child, so he got locked up right away. But it still doesn't defeat the fact that her husband is dead. He's gone. At 9 o'clock, she's sitting at home waiting for her husband to come home from work. By 11 o'clock, two hours later, she had already been to the convenience store, been to the local hospital, and by 11 o'clock she was already back home without her husband planning his funeral in two hours. Just like that. And she said, Daniel, it was amazing 
how fast, how sudden it happened. And all that happened is the sheriff's department, the hospital, all they folks say is, I'm terribly sorry, because they don't know what else to say. He's dead. They're taking him to the morgue, and I'm just going home now to an empty house with my husband of you know, 20-some, 30 years. Not, he will not be returning. She immediately became a widow, just like that. And then she says, she's telling me this story, talking about how there's no closure. I never got to say goodbye or anything to my husband because he passed away immediately. The young man's arrested. He's thrown into, uh, I guess, state, state prison there in Georgia. He's apparently a wild child. Nine years later, he's like 22, 23 years old. He gets killed in a prison riot, like a fight broke out in jail, and he dies in that. She never even got to speak to him. So she felt like he never even got to serve his full term. Her husband dies, and never is there any closure with either of these situations, confronting her, the murderer, and then saying goodbye to her husband. And she made this statement to me. She says, Daniel... I just want justice because what happened was wrong. This young man stole my husband from me. And then I never even got to talk to him because he died in prison. Never even got to tell him how I felt. And what we're about to read in this passage is here on earth, Isaiah chapter 9 is going to tell us that we live among darkness. This is a sinful, broken world we live in. But the promise of Christmas and the promise of what Jesus brings to us is that He is the light. He is the one we have been awaiting. He is the Emmanuel, God with us, we've been looking and longing for born in Bethlehem on Christmas Day. And the principle for us in this passage is going to tell us, in many ways, we will never see justice here on earth. We have to trust justice and righteousness will be fulfilled and met in heaven. Because it's not going to happen here on earth. Because we live among darkness. And maybe some of you here this morning you have been, and that lady, Carolyn, she had really, I was proud of her, she became a victim's advocate for people who had experienced true terror and tragedy in her life. She became an advocate and started sharing her story of how she walked through the years of just heartbreak of just and loss and dealing with it. She never remarried from that. Isaiah chapter 9, nevertheless, verse 1, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan and to Galilee of the nations. What they're talking about here in Isaiah 9 is they're setting up the location of where Jesus is going to be born and raised in the land of Naphtali 
all on, along east of the Jordan. That's Israel and the land of Galilee. So that's the area, the community that Jesus was raised in. So this was written 900 years before Jesus was born. The people walking in darkness, that's just like today, have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Folks, we live in the land of darkness. There is wickedness all around us, and our only hope is the one here they're talking about, the light that is dawned, and that's the light of Jesus. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. That is a throwback and a reminder of what it was like for the folks when they were in slavery and bondage in Egypt. This statement in verse 4 this rod on the shoulders, the oppressive yoke. Israel, the Israelites under Pharaoh had great oppression in their life. And through Moses, through God raising up Moses and letting the people go through the Red Sea, God broke the, the, uh, the yoke of slavery and the people were freed by the Lord under Pharaoh's, under Pharaoh's oppression. And what we're seeing here in Isaiah chapter 9, the ministry of what the Messiah is going to do, He's going to come and He's going to set people free. So what freedom are we talking about? Anytime in the Bible there's a reference to slavery, there's this reference to Egypt, they're talking about don't go back to the days of living under Pharaoh. You don't want to live in the days of Egypt when it was hard. But folks... When people do not know Jesus as their Savior, they're living in those days, meaning they're under the bondage and the slavery of sin. They are not living for the Lord. They're living for everything else. I mean, think about what people are living for. Black Friday specials. You know, people are getting excited about Christmas shopping. They're looking forward to parties. I mean, they're uh, thinking about the new year and what they're going to do. Uh, it's so easy today, at this time of the year, to be thinking about all the other events and the activities and the, and the get-togethers and the family time, except thinking about what's most important. And that's who he's talking about here. That's Jesus. Verse 5, For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, verse 6 and 7 are some of the most common and most read Bible verses during Christmas season from the Old Testament because it points to us to Jesus. Verse 6 says, For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. Jesus was born for you. He was given to you. Listen, the reason that Jesus saves us is not because it's his work, what he did. It's his character. God is a saving God. The character of the Lord, he desires to save people from their sin. 
Because he looks out upon the earth and he sees people who are far from him. Remember in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned and they made their uh, garments of fig leaves and they were hiding from the Lord and the Lord's walking around saying, well, where are you? Where'd you go, Adam and Eve? Because what he's doing, and that's a gospel call. He's saying, look, you're not with me anymore. Where did you go? The Lord didn't go anywhere. Nothing with the Lord changed. It was Adam and Eve that ran and rebelled from the Lord. And remember, when he's asked that question, where are you? It's not that they were playing hide-and-go-seek and the Lord couldn't find them. He said, where are you? Because something had changed. All of a sudden, sin had entered inside of them. They were separated from God, and they didn't realize it. Adam and Eve didn't realize what they had done. They had sinned against the Lord, and they were separated from Him, and they were just trying to live their life as normal, and you can't do it. Folks here in Lexington, there is such a great need for gospel ministry, lost people to be saved. And I want to tell you, this December Christmas season, you want to be very purposeful with the folks you talk to. This month, December is such an exciting month. You know, it was in December 1993 that I got saved. So December is always a special month for me because that's when I trusted Christ as my Savior as a teenager. And I want to tell you why probably it was important to me is because at my house, the home I grew up in, my mother and father, every room you walked in, you had Bible verses everywhere. And it was the gospel was being communicated very clearly from not just house to house, but room to room. I mean, every wall to wall you're seeing, the gospel story is being told. And you want to be very purposeful as well during Christmas. A lot of folks get saved and make decisions to turn to the Lord during Christmas. You know, you think about why not Easter? Easter is one day. Christmas goes on for months. I mean, gosh, Christmas has been going on all through, since Halloween. We've been talking about Christmas. Now we're getting closer and closer. And what is Christmas about? Folks, it's about the baby born in a manger. You're telling the gospel story. And how, when I say to be purposeful about it, this child who was given to us, he's given to us for the greater purpose so that we see God's character and His saving power so that He saves us. He reminds us, you need this baby who was born because you're lost. And it goes on to say here, And the government will be on His shoulders, and He will be named. That phrase, the government will be on His shoulders. And I want to tell you why that's in the Bible. Because in the Bible, they were looking for a political leader. But that's not the type of leader Jesus was. He wasn't a political leader. His kingdom is a kingdom in heaven. It's not a kingdom here on earth. And he gave these names on what he does. These are the characters of God. The names of the Lord are Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. There are four names here we see. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This is what Jesus does. This is who he is. God is a God of peace. Not a fighting, not a bickering, not of crime. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it 
with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. You look at these four names here in verse 6. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This is who the people were looking for. This is what people are looking for today. You look at these phrases here. Wonderful Counselor. If you're in the psychology business, you have, you have a lot of folks to talk to. The best counselor is the Lord. Do you know if you need some counsel, do you know you go to the Lord? He actually will provide counsel to you. John chapter 16, this, he describes the Holy Spirit, who is God, as a counselor. He will come and tell you what to do. Mighty God, do you want someone to fight? go before you and fight your battles? Do you want to just trust in the Lord? God is mighty. He is, he's never comes up too short. He cannot, he cannot have a battle. He does not win. Eternal Father, meaning God is not just here on earth. The Bible tells us God is the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in the reference about when Jesus spoke about that, He's not just the God of the living, He's the God of the dead. Meaning, the Lord is the Lord of the dead, the Lord is the Lord of here living, and He's the God of the future. He's eternal. So that when He talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord speaks about them as, yeah, they're still alive. They're just not here on earth. They're in heaven. They're not anywhere. They're just not with you. They're with me. You just don't see them. He's eternal. He is a good Father. And he's the prince of peace. The kingdom of God does not come by fighting wars. It does not come by beating people up and attacking and conquering land. It comes through the gospel message of what I was talking about being purposeful and intentional about telling and sharing the good news of Jesus. In this Christmas season, you and I want to be looking for opportunities as we speak to family members who maybe do not know the Lord that we will see them, we'll have Christmas dinner with them, we'll have Christmas gift openings with them, and we let them know that Jesus saves. I want to illustrate this. This is actually going on right now in our church. We have a gentleman in our church named Don Hassel. And he's right down this road here in room 455 at St. Joe's Hospital. Don Hassel, uh, in many ways, used to lead our men's ministry and helps out with our men's Sunday school classes. And he's very committed. I know uh, he does a lot of outreach towards new feet people. Many of you here know him, even though he's in his early 80s. Don won't be with us much longer. He is barely alive. And I've had the opportunity to speak with him. And he is saved. He is prepared to meet God. He knows the Lord. And when I was talking to him, he's barely breathing there at the hospital. His wonderful wife, Pat, is there by his side. His children have been coming to say their goodbyes. Don has been getting his house in order. He's already prepared the funeral with me. And he's already told me some things he wants done. And Don, is out, I actually spoke to him on the phone last night. He, was, he can barely talk, but he was giving me some updates on how he's quickly doing. And then he wanted me to pray for some of his family members who do not know the Lord. Don knows where he's going to heaven, but he's got people, his, some of his family, who are not saved, and he's burdened over them. That's what the Bible's talking about. 
to be purposeful. He's even asked me during the funeral service because he knows, he says, Pastor, I really want you to share the gospel because there will be people who are at that funeral service who are not saved and who I'm concerned about their spiritual salvation. That is what we need to be like all the way to the point of death where we're thinking not for myself, Lord, not that I need to get better because what Don has is terminal and he knows the Lord, he knows Jesus, and he's going to soon be with the presence of Jesus Christ. But he's more importantly and most importantly concerned about people in his circle of influence and his family who do not know Jesus. So when they see these names of God, they don't know the Prince of Peace. They don't know the Eternal Father. They don't know, have never experienced a mighty God, have never spoken to a wonderful counselor. This Christmas season, we want to be come with an anticipation and looking for opportunities. I want to read one more Bible passage here in the New Testament. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to read it because I'm going to illustrate what it looks like when you're anticipating a great work of the Lord. Two nights ago, Sherry's sister was in town and we went up to the Creation Museum. The Creation Museum is in Petersburg, Kentucky. If you ever get a chance, you need to go there. It's owned by the same people who own Noah's Ark in Williamstown, Kentucky. But the Creation Museum points to a, uh, and gives great exhibits talking about how God is our creator and everything we see was created uh, by him and for him. That being said, we went up there, and what they do is they have this Christmas light show, and they have different people who go around reenacting scenes of the Bible from the Christmas story. And we were there Friday night, it was freezing up there, and we were there, and uh, there was a lady reenacting a story from the book of Luke. And it was Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2 was baby Jesus' dedication at the temple. Mary and Joseph gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is right next to Jerusalem. So when the child was just a small infant, probably about 40 days old, typically you would take the child to the temple to receive baby dedication. And they did that. Mary and Joseph went up the road, and you only could dedicate your babies in Jerusalem at the temple. And there was a widow there named Anna. And Anna, what happened is she had lost her husband. And she devoted all her time in her life to serving the Lord in, the, in his church at the temple. And what would have happened is Mary and Joseph were very poor, the Bible says. They didn't have very much. So when they showed up for their dedication and their sacrifice, they brought in two little doves. So probably in how the lady illustrated this so vividly at the Creation Museum, acting it out. She's standing on one side of the temple, and she sees this couple come in for their baby dedication. And Anna had dedicated a lot of babies, because that's what she did, her and a man named Simeon. And they noticed here in the Bible, if you were wealthy, you brought in a lamb. If you didn't have any money, you brought in two doves. So Mary and Joseph brought in the two doves, which would indicate to Anna that this was a low-income, a poor couple coming in. But you think about it, they're walking into the temple for baby dedication, but they were carrying a lamb. 
They were carrying the Lamb of God in their hands. And the Bible tells us here, there was also a prophetess. I'm reading from Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Her name was Anna, a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. That's the least of all the tribes of Israel. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. Listen, there's a possibility. There's somewhat of some, uh, not, if you notice, there's a footnote on that uh, Bible verse about how long she had been a widow. Anna could have been a widow for seven years, or she could have been married for seven years, and her husband died when, that, when they were very young in their marriage, and she had been a widow for 84 years. That meant for 84 years, she had been in the temple dedicating babies. Decade after decade. Well, Anna knew Isaiah chapter 9. She knew that scripture we had just read. She knew that one day there was going to be a child that was going to be born, and he would also come through that temple for dedication. So one day this child would be at the temple that she serves in and receive baby dedication. And sure enough, this was going to be the day that baby Jesus was going to be dedicated. She did not leave the temple, serving God day and night with fasting and prayers. She had committed her life. After her husband died, she says, God, I'm going to give my time the rest of my days to you. I'm not going to spend my time watching Fox News. I'm not going to spend my time worrying about politics and stuff I can't control. I'm going to devote my life and my time to the Lord. And she did that. She devoted her time to the Lord. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about them and all who were looking forward, look at this, to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna walked up. Simeon was over here. She saw this poor family bringing in this little baby. And Simeon was making commotion thinking, this is the child. And she walks up and the Lord reveals to her, this is the child, the one you've been waiting for. And she said, this is the one Who's going to bring redemption? That's a prophecy for Jesus' life. Folks, that redemption comes all the way to us today. Redemption means you're saved. You're redeemed. You were once lost. You were out there in darkness. But all of a sudden, you went from being dark to being found. You went from all of a sudden can't see to see the light. And the message and the ministry of Jesus in this entire Christmas and this Advent season is one of pointing people to Jesus. So this morning, this morning's message, beginning the first Sunday of Advent, is reminding us to be very purposeful about our Christmas. I was saved in the month of December. If you know of family members who do not go to church, who do not know the Lord, who are not right with God, who are backsliding, meaning they're going backwards spiritually. I want to encourage you this December, this Christmas season, to be praying and looking and fasting, just like Anna was. She was looking for the Messiah. She was just waiting. God is going to happen. We need to have that same type of devotion as ladies like Anna had. And that devotion she had came from Isaiah chapter 9 because she knew a child was going to be born one day 
and he'd be dedicating this temple, and he was going to be the ones that brought redemption. This morning I ask you, are you looking forward to being with Jesus Christ? Are you longing for your time with the Lord? Maybe you have experienced injustice because that passage in Isaiah said we live in an unjust, dark time. Our only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We long and look forward to being in the presence of God. But in the meantime, our message and ministry right now, this Christmas, is saying, who do I have? What family member do I need to use this Christmas time to make sure they know about the real reason the child we sing about and talk about the one born in the manger in Bethlehem? Folks, Jesus Christ is the greatest message we have this next month. These next four months, four weeks, you have an opportunity to share the gospel like unlike any other time in the whole calendar year. Because everywhere you go, folks are going to be talking about Christmas, singing about Christmas, and attending unique Christmas events and activities and parties, and you'll be among other people whom you can share the good news with. And that's our commitment to you. Anna had that type of commitment. The Bible teaches us that we have a wonderful, mighty God who's in the business of redeeming lost people. This morning, if you are lost, if you do not know the Lord, if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, just like I was saved during Christmas time, you need to trust Jesus as your Savior. You need to get right with God. Getting right with God means I made a decision to follow Jesus. I confessed my sins. I realized I was living in darkness. And from this day on, at this point on, I'm now saved. So I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. We're going to have our invitation. If you want to get right with God, I'm going to be standing down front. Beecher's going to come forward here and our band's going to lead us in our song. We close our service with an invitation to get right and respond to God. I stand down front. You come take my hand and say, Pastor, I want to get saved. Now some of you, thinking, I'm saved, but I need a church family. I need a church home. And I want to tell you, Broadway needs to be your church that you join. At this time, too, you come take my hand and say, Pastor, I want to join the church. This Advent, this Christmas season, the best time to make Broadway your church home. So we're going to sing our song of invitation. I'm going to be standing out front. You respond to the gospel.